Hey, Cornerstone, man. Glad you're here. Happy Easter. I mean, this is, this is a big, big day in our faith. And I, I just want to stop as we're starting and just welcome everybody at Santan, everybody at Scottsdale. Just say thank you so much for being part of this day. You get that Easter is literally the linchpin of our faith. That, that everything that you and I say that we believe hinges on the reality of Easter. Because either at Easter, you ready? Either at Easter, everything that Jesus taught is true. That his death on the cross for our sins worked. And that on Easter Sunday, God accepts his sacrifice and raises him from the dead to say, it is done and paid in full. Or... Easter is the biggest hoax ever perpetuated on all of human history. Uh, it did not happen. Uh, somehow the disciples pulled off some sort of a hoax. And you and I have absolutely no justification and no reason for our faith. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said this. That if the resurrection hasn't happened, then you and I as Christians are to be considered the most miserable people in the world. Because bottom line is, guys, we have staked our lives on the belief that the resurrection is true and valid and has happened. More than that, we've staked our eternities on it. And there are people in this room today who would say, Lynn, I'm just telling you, I've been there and I have explored this. And I'm just telling you, the resurrected Jesus has absolutely changed my life. Do you realize there are more than a billion Christians worldwide today who would look you in the eyes and say to you, I have experienced a personal personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Nobody is saying that about Buddha. Nobody's saying that about Muhammad, but Christians are saying, I have experienced a personal relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's Easter. And yet, I get it, I get it, I get it. There are some of us in this room who still haven't quite been affected by Easter. It, it hasn't necessarily landed for us. And and look, I get that there are probably some of us in the room and the only reason you're here is because some crazy Christian dragged you to church today and you were stuck. You didn't know how to say no politely. I, I get that for some of us, Easter is family tradition and it's just what you do, you know, Easter and Christmas and maybe church. It's just kind of your family thing. And so you're here and Easter hasn't landed in your life and you haven't felt the full effect of Easter yet. And here's what I just want to encourage you. That if Easter hasn't changed you, if this reality that Jesus paid for your sins, died for you, and that this thing we believe is absolutely unequivocally real, then can I just encourage you today, this Easter, to maybe lean in just a little closer, to examine a little more thoroughly, and figure out how your life ought to be affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here we go. I want us just to go back to that original Easter and unpack what happens that morning and watch as lives are instantly transformed when they begin to realize that it is real. Okay, so grab your Bibles. Uh, Go with me to the book of Matthew. And if you're not real familiar, if you simply go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 28. And it chronicles that first Easter morning. Matthew chapter 28, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Uh, After the Sabbath at dawn, 
On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and then sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They collapsed on the ground. The angel uh, said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he told you he would be. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. Now, get the moment. For the last three days, all of the followers of Jesus have been in absolute despair and mourning. Everything they have believed has suddenly collapsed with the death of Jesus. And there is, in their hearts and in their minds, absolutely no redemption, no hope, no way out of the darkness they find themselves in. As Jesus has died, it's in the afternoon, and Passover is about to happen in the evening, and so there's no time to properly prepare the body. So they hastily uh, wrap the body, throw a couple ointments on it, and have now stuck him in a tomb. It's three days later. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are coming back to finish the preparations. And think about this for a minute. Uh, They know that what they're about to do isn't going to be pleasant. Uh, The body is three days deep into decay. Uh, It's not going to be good to look at. And yet, in a final act of love and worship, they're going to go back and finish preparing the body. As they're on their way... (laughs) A huge earthquake happens. Ground is shaking, boulders are rolling. And now they come around the corner to see the elite Roman guard. The upper, 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 the proletariat. These guys, these guys are the navy seals of the Roman guard. And they're laying on the ground, passed out in fear, having convulsions. If that's not enough, they then turn and sitting on the stone is an angel. And the Bible says he's glowing like lightning. And in that moment, he says these amazing words. Hey, don't be afraid. If you're the women, you're going, okay. Uh, Don't be afraid because everything you feared is about to be fixed. Everything you thought you lost is about to be restored. You ever wonder why the angel came and rolled the stone away? Think about that for a minute. Jesus didn't need the stone to get rolled. Matter of fact, in just a few days, the disciples, still not quite understanding, still in fear, are going to lock themselves in a room, bar the windows, close all the doors and seal themselves off. And Jesus is going to come and appear to them. He's literally going to walk through the walls and then stand in the room with them. Jesus doesn't need the stone rolled away. So why does the angel roll the stone away that first Easter morning? It's to let the women in. 
so that they can see what has actually taken place, so they can experience for themselves, so that they don't have to take a blind leap of faith. They don't have to unplug their brains to believe in Jesus. They are going to have the opportunity with their very own eyes to see that what was promised has actually taken place. It's for the disciples who are going to run to the tomb in just a little while, and they themselves go inside and see grave clothes that are still perfectly wrapped as if around a body just collapsed because the body's gone. The stone is rolled away for you and me. And then the angel says to them what may be the most remarkable words of all the resurrection story. He says, come and see. Don't stand out here. Don't, don't spend your time imagining or wondering if someone's taken him away or stolen the body. Go in and see for yourself. Come and see that it's absolutely true and it's absolutely real. And in that day, uh, if you had gone to a tomb, the doorway to the tomb was fairly small. You didn't build big doorways because you weren't expecting people to be walking in and out. The reality is the tomb's a very low door. And as these women go and as they crouch down and then stand up inside the tomb, and suddenly in an instant, they look and realize that Jesus really has been raised again. And in that moment, sorrow turns to singing. Despair turns to victory because they've seen it for themselves. Here's what I find interesting on Easter. That there are people still today who have been unaffected by this event. That with all that Easter promises, all that Easter does for us, it has never quite landed for them. And Easter has become something that is casual. It's become something that we're somewhat ambivalent to. We're neutral about. And I would just simply say to everyone who feels that way, come and see. Take a closer look. Because this thing changes us when we see it for ourselves. You get that there are some people in this room today that have never, never, never quite felt Easter and the reason that it hasn't landed or hasn't had a significant change in their life is because they're actually good people. Uh, they do an awful lot of really good things. Uh, they help little old ladies across the street and uh, they give to orphan funds and uh, they've always been a part of United Way and they're just flat out good people. And although they wouldn't want to brag about it or say it too out loud, you know, the truth is if you really pin them down, they'd say... I, I'm probably the best person on my block. I'm definitely the best person at work. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to kind of maybe follow the example of Jesus and what he modeled, and I'm just trying to be a nice person, a good person, treat others the way I'd want them to treat me. And in their goodness, they haven't necessarily felt the need. Some... Some, they're missing the resurrection because they're religious. Uh, they've been raised a certain way. They would say to you, hey, probably all of my life, I mean, I think I've known about Jesus and believed in, in Jesus. And I, you know, I, I've, I've been baptized and I went to catechism and, uh, you know, I attend church every once in a while. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly religious person. 
And the idea both with the good person and the religious person is that somehow you kind of add these things to your life. You, you do these correct behaviors. And that somehow by behaving a certain way or adding things to yourself, that somehow that's going to change who you are on the inside eventually. Let me see if this helps. How many of you ladies in the room, your husband is one of those guys that when it's football season, wears the jersey? Okay, then you get it. So if you wear the jersey, does that make you on the team? I I mean, think about this. Think about this for a second. How many articles of fan-based clothing do you have to put on before you get drafted? You know, I mean, you know, I've got the, I've got the insulated sipper cup, Broncos right there. And, you know, I've got the jersey, Peyton Manning, best quarterback ever. And I've got the helmet and I wear it during the game because I'm all in. I'm just telling you, I'm all in. I even order Denver Broncos pizza. I mean, I'm all in. So I mean, how many pieces of clothing do you have to wear? How many things do you add on till you're on the team? Which is exactly the same question you have to ask the good person or the religious person. How many good deeds do you do? How many little old ladies do you have to help across the street till you're a Christian? How many religious things do you have to involve in your life? I mean, how many times do you have to get baptized? Or how many times do you have to attend church in a month before you cross the line and actually become a bona fide follower of Jesus? And if you miss church a couple times, does that take away? And suddenly you understand the dilemma of trying to add things on. Trying to be your own savior. You get that there was someone on that first Easter who was struggling with exactly this struggle. Uh, His name is Joseph of Arimathea. And although you may not recognize his name, I guarantee you recognize what he did. Joseph of Arimathea is the guy who goes to Pontius Pilate and begs for the body of Jesus so that he can place Jesus in his tomb. But what you may not know about Joseph is that Joseph of Arimathea was a part of what they call the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He is part of the elite of the elite of the elite of the religious of his day. And here's what you just need to know. Joseph of Arimathea is a darn good guy. Uh, this guy this guy is helpful to widows and orphans. Uh, he's giving handouts to lepers. This, this guy is doing good things at a pace that none of us in this room probably even comes close to. He outgoods us all. And he's way more religious than us. Uh, he has kept every single Jewish feast. Uh, he has memorized more scripture than probably any person sitting in this room. He is highly religious. And then comes along this itinerant rabbi by the name of Jesus, and Joseph of Arimathea is intrigued. Uh, He decides to go to a couple of the Bible studies and hang out. And it's interesting because Jesus is teaching things in a different way than he's ever heard or ever understood. It's fun to go and uh, watch the feeding of the 5,000, and you get a free meal out of the deal. It's a good thing. And it's interesting to watch him heal people and just kind of see the reaction of the crowd. But at the end of the day, Joseph of Arimathea is still only a fan. Because, 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 you ready? No matter what I put on my life, it doesn't make me a member of the team. 
It just makes me a fan. But then comes a critical moment. It's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because think, here, ready? All of Joseph's good friends, all of Joseph's religious friends are the very ones who called for the crucifixion of Jesus. They're the very ones who went to the Romans, said, you've got to kill this guy. He's a problem. And suddenly lines are drawn. And now Joseph's stuck. Do I stay where I am? Do I stay in my goodness? Do I stay in my religiousness with all the things I've done all my life and believed all my life? Or do I cast my lot with a dead preacher? And suddenly Joseph understands there's a decision to be made. That, you ready for this? That being a Christian is not something you do. Being a Christian is something you decide. And in that moment, he decides on Jesus. I mean, think about this, guys. When he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus, when he takes the body of this man that his good religious friends have just hated, and he puts that man in his own tomb, you don't think that wasn't a statement about what he had decided in his life? How thrilled do you think Joseph of Arimathea is at the resurrection of Jesus? I mean, how cool is it when he goes back later to visit his own empty tomb? And I'm just telling you guys, he is thrilled out of his mind. And he's not thrilled out of his mind because he's developed a new business model, RecycledTombs.com. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, I just pushed all in by faith in the Son of God. And it just proved true. And guys, I'm just going to say that to some of us that are in this room and we haven't fully filled Easter yet because we've been too busy adding things to our life. We've been too busy being good or we've been too busy being religious the way that we were brought up or the way that someone else told them. And we thought if we were religious enough that suddenly that would make us a Christian. Guys, I'm just going to say it's not something you do. It's something you decide. At the very most, if you keep adding things, the best you can ever be is a fan, but you'll never be a disciple. And I'm just going to encourage you today. This Easter, come and see. Move a little closer to the two. Maybe even go inside and explore for yourself this thing of Jesus. And figure out that there's a decision to be made. There's some of us in this room and we haven't fully felt Easter because there's things keeping us at a distance. And I, it's because some of us are broken and some of us are hurting deeply today. So, some of us are broken because in our lifetimes, uh, we've made decisions. See, we, we sat in a moment and we said, look, I'm just going to decide for me because I'm the best decider for me. And nobody else is going to control me and no one else is going to run my life and no one else can tell me what to do. So I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm the decider for deciding. And in the midst of our decisions, even though our hearts were good and we were hoping for the best, we find ourselves in a place now that says, this isn't what I planned. This, this isn't where I thought my life was going to be by now. And I look at some of the decisions I've made and 
they were the worst possible decision I could have made in the moment. And in moments that I knew it was wrong, I did it anyways. And now people are wounded. And now people are hurt. And if I'm just up front, I'm broken. I have broken me. And I'm not sure there's any repairing this. Some of us in the room are just wounded, hurting people. And we're not wounded and hurting because of something we decided. Chances are we're wounded and hurting because of something someone else decided. Something that someone else did. And suddenly we've experienced huge pain and unthinkable unfairness in our life. And in that moment we thought to ourselves, hey, wait, 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 wait. If God is real and if God is love and if God's in control, then how in the hay is this happening to me? How could God let this happen? And I'm just not sure I want to have anything to do with that God. I, I, don't, th- I, don't, I don't think I can trust that God. And so you've kept God at distance because you're hurting. You get that on that first Easter, there were people who felt exactly like you. Ironically, it's the disciples. Think about this. Peter, uh, Peter has blown it. He has, he has absolutely sabotaged his faith. Remember, Peter's the guy who looked at Jesus and said, look, 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 I don't know what all the rest of these losers are going to do, but I will never deny you, dude. Remember that? And within 24 hours, he literally cancels his faith. He steps on his faith. He says, I have nothing to do with that guy. At the very moment that Jesus needed him most, he was in for the least. And I guarantee you, if you're Peter, you're saying, I'm broken. And what I've done, what I've done, I I don't think there's any fixing what I've done. If you're their other disciples, uh, you you are absolutely heart sick. Uh, you, you have put all of your trust, you've put all of your faith in Jesus, and now God has absolutely let you down. I mean, think about this for a minute. Remember there's the moment in which part of the crowd is leaving Jesus, and Jesus turns to his disciples and said, are you guys going to take off on me also? And remember the disciples say back to Jesus in that moment, Jesus, where would we go? We've already pushed all in on you. We've already risked everything for you. We, we've, there's, there's nothing left. We're, we're a hundred percent committed. And if this doesn't work, we're just in trouble. And now Jesus is dead. Tell me that the disciples for those three days that Jesus is in the tomb aren't saying to God, you blew it. How in the world is this fair? How in the world can you love us? How in the world can you love your son? And this be the answer. And if we can't trust you for this, then how are we ever going to trust you for anything else? Isn't it interesting that the angel says to the women, Hey, go in, come and see for yourself, and then go tell the disciples. And in just a few minutes, the disciples run to the tomb... Go down in through the door and suddenly realize in that moment that everything they thought they had lost has been restored. 
that what they believed originally was defeat has in this instant been turned into their greatest victory. And guys, I'm just telling you that if you're sitting here today and you're struggling and you have not figured out Easter, then your brokenness, your brokenness can be healed. That the very same God who broke the chains of death can break the chains of sin. If you're here today and you're hurting and you say, it just doesn't make sense and how could God have let this happen? I'm just, you just need to hear me say, you haven't seen the final chapter yet. You haven't seen what the author of life does when he finishes your story. And can I just encourage you that rather than walk away and let Easter not affect you, that what you need to do today is come and see that you need to investigate further. You need to lean into the tomb like never before and just say, God, what can you do with this? Come and see. There are some of us in this room and, man, we have, we have missed Easter. We've missed Easter because we've chosen to be casual about our faith. We've decided that it's all intriguing and it's all good. It just doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be all that different. See, here's the deal. Look, look. We've believed in Jesus, so we've got our fire insurance. We're not going to hell. We know we're going to heaven. We end up at church a couple weekends every month, you know. We do our church thing. But the reality is when we go to work on Monday, we do our work thing. See, we're interested in having enough Jesus in our lives to be helpful. We just don't want enough Jesus in our lives to be inconvenient. So it's really, really good. It's good if Jesus can help me with my marriage, and it's, it's good if Jesus can help me be a better husband or a better wife or maybe a better employee or a better parent, and I'm all in for that. I just don't want the hard parts of Jesus. I don't want the inconvenient parts of Jesus. And so we pick and we choose and we remain casual about our faith. We're kind of like, you ready for this? We're kind of like school friends to Jesus. You remember school friends? School friends are the friends you only had while you were at school. So you were friends with them because, you know, it was nice to get picked on a team at recess time. And when the teacher was getting really, really boring, it was fun to pass notes. Hey, I like him. Do you think he likes me? Check the box. But the reality is when you got on the bus and you headed home, school friends were gone. I mean, you didn't even think about school friends until the next day at school. Because they weren't your real friends. They were just school friends. And some of this in this room have been school friends with Jesus. And Jesus is really cool and really fun on Sunday. He just doesn't make a whole lot of difference on Monday. And we've chosen in this moment to be what I call selective believers. We're going to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we want and which parts of Jesus we're just going to leave sitting on the side. Because it's inconvenient to have all of Jesus. You get that there was a group of people who had exactly the same struggle on Easter. They were the crowd. 
You remember as you read the Gospels over and over again that over and over again, huge crowds came to hear Jesus talk. But you also catch the part of the story that says uh, there were moments when the crowd dissipates. See, the crowd was there and it was good, you know, and they loved some of the stuff Jesus was teaching and it was fun to see the miracles and all of that. But then Jesus would get to the hard stuff. See, Jesus would start talking about money. Or Jesus would start saying, hey, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you're already committing adultery with her. And suddenly the crowds, when the hard moments came with Jesus, would evaporate. They'd all dissipate because they were only school friends of Jesus. You ever wonder what happened to the crowd after Easter? I can tell you. They visited a tomb. They came to the unthinkable realization that Jesus wasn't just an itinerant rabbi, that Jesus really was the Son of God. And if he was the Son of God, dying for their sins, resurrected on the third day, then that demanded more than schoolhouse friendship. And how do we know that happened? Because Christianity explodes in Jerusalem. All those people who had been casual, part-time followers of Jesus, visiting the empty tomb, suddenly realized that this demanded more of their lives, and they were all in once they experienced Easter. And literally, they followed Jesus then to the ends of the earth. Some of us. Some of us have been so casual about our faith and we we thought that it wasn't a big deal and we could pick and choose which parts of God we wanted and didn't want. And I'm just telling you, I'm just encouraging you that if you would peek more in, if you would see this for yourselves, it would change everything. Remember I told you that the entrance to the tomb was always built small? So the reality was that in order to access the tomb, you actually had to get down on your knees and you would pull the body inside, and then once you got inside, you'd pick the body back up and set it in its place. And you can can say that I'm making too much of this, but I think it's intriguing that the only way to get in and actually take a look meant you had to bow. And I'm just going to suggest to every casual Christian in this room, you will never, ever, ever experience the wonder of a life given to Jesus till you bow the knee and surrender and then find life. And I just want to encourage you. Look and see for yourself. Don't leave this Easter half-hearted. Come and see. Two types of people in this room. Those who have experienced Easter for themselves, who have been forever changed, they will never, ever, ever go back because they've met and experienced in the fullness the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then there's the rest of us. Those who've stayed outside the tomb and have worshipped Jesus from a distance. And I'm just asking you this Easter. Come and see. There's more to it than you thought. And it changes us when we see.
stars they went, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon resurrection and stay neutral. It's it's in the resurrection that doubters become disciples. It's that moment when mourners become missionaries. It changes us when we look into the tomb. Some of us need to leave this place and we need to think about what we've always thought and reconsider our preconceived ideas about Easter. And we need to process it. And my encouragement is simply this. Would you just look and see for yourself? Would you come back to church? Would you explore the claims of Jesus? Would you just see if there's more to this than you ever possibly imagined? But figure it out for yourself. There's some of us in this room and you would say, Lynn, I I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to ponder anything. I am so ready to just move forward with this thing. There are some of us in this room and you've been religious or you've been a good person and you go, look, I get it, I get it. I'll never be more than a fan until I decide to be a disciple. And you're ready to make a decision. And there are some of us in this room who've been casual about our faith. Uh, we, we just have held God at a distance. And today you need to say, man, I'm just, I'm all in. I'm done. I'm done being a half-hearted follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to give us an opportunity to make that decision together. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And with everybody's eyes closed, we're not, no one's looking around, just me and God. If you're here today and you say, Lynn, look, I get it. I need to make my own decision about Jesus. I, I've been a good person. 
I've been a religious person. I think maybe I've loved God most of my life. I just don't know that I've decided for myself for God. I don't know that I've ever really had that moment of personal commitment when I just said, hey, God, I'm choosing to be in. Not what my parents chose, not I'm choosing to be in. And today, I'm ready to make that choice. I'm ready to decide for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're at that point, I'm just going to ask you with everyone's eyes closed, would you raise your hand and say, look, Lynn, I need to make that decision for me today. And I'm just going to raise my hand. All, look at that. All over this room, people are raising their hands saying, I, I get it. I need to decide. All over this room. That's amazing. With everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes still closed, I want to talk to casual Christians. I, I want to talk to Christians who have, who have lived their faith with half a heart. And you're, and today... Today, Easter is coming alive for you and going, look, I can't believe what I believe about Jesus and do this halfway. I've got to decide to be in, and I'm deciding that today. I'm deciding that my walk is going to be the walk of a disciple. I'm going to pay whatever price I have to pay. I'm going to take whatever inconvenience comes my way, but I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly starting today. And if you're ready to make that, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, man, that's me. I'm, I'm that all-in Christian today. Man, all over this room. Who else? All over this room. Wow. Okay, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in two very simple prayers. One prayer for those who raised their hand and said, I need to make my own decision about Jesus today. And then we're going to pray a second prayer for Christians who are saying, I need to be all-in today. So if you're deciding on Jesus today, that prayer goes something like this. I'm going to pray it. You can pray it quietly in your seat. You can just repeat what I've said. And it would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I, I, think, I think I've thought about you and cared about you, maybe even loved you all of my life. And I've spent my life trying to be a good enough person for you, a religious enough person for you. But I don't know that I've ever decided on you. And so I'm doing that today. I'm, I'm, I get it that following you isn't about adding things to my life. It's about letting you in my life. And so I'm just asking you to come and be my savior. I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins. I'm asking you to bring Easter to my heart today. And this I pray in Jesus name. For all the Christians in this room who said, look, I need, to, I need to make that step. I need to make that commitment. And even if you didn't raise your hand a few moments ago, it doesn't keep you from praying now. And you would pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, man, I know you. I just haven't followed you like I should. I, I've, been, I've been the one foot in, one foot out Christian. And I, I get it. I get it. If this stuff is real, if, if you really did come back from the dead, you can't be casual about that. You, you've got to be all in. And so that's what I'm deciding today. I'm just saying, look, I, I'm done being part of the crowd. I'm, I'm done following you when it feels good and stepping away when it gets hard. Whatever comes, whatever this price is that's going to be there, I don't care. I'm going to be a fully committed follower of you starting today. This is my prayer. This is my promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
The band's going to come back in just a moment. They're going to lead us in a wonderfully powerful worship song. But while they're coming, I'm going to ask you to, if you prayed one of those prayers, to reach in the seat back right in front of you. You're going to grab a card out that looks like this that says, I said yes to Jesus, because that's what you did if you just prayed. And there's just a couple lines on it. And then there's two boxes. One said, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. One says, I recommitted my life to Jesus. And guys, in order to make a statement that this wasn't just feeling some warm fuzzies at the end of a sermon, but something that you really, really decided today, I'm going to ask you to put in the effort to fill out a card. And when we're done in just a few moments, as you head to the exits, there are yes tables. And to stake your decision by dropping that card on that table and saying, I decided something. Easter Sunday, 2016, and my life will never be quite the same. Okay? So you grab those cards, you start filling them out. These guys are going to come, and then they're going to lead us in worship.